Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. You're listening to the Risk Commentary Podcast. Are you responsible for managing risk but feel frustrated with a confused process? Your host, Edward Robertson, has helped clients not only face uncertainty but also solve chronic business problems by using clear methods with a minimal footprint. Do it right and your people will smile, love the risk process and invite you back. Stay tuned to find out how. Episode 16, Fixing Common ERM Challenges. In this episode, what we want to do is diagnose common challenges in the Enterprise Risk Management Initiative and to recommend courses of action to fix problems that commonly arise. So we'll discuss in the first part the steps in analyzing poor take-up in the Enterprise Risk Management Program. And later on in this podcast, we'll look at the midlife stage of an ERM program, the typical characteristics uh, of an ERM program that could be sort of midway along in its evolutionary development and is typically at that point uh, overly elaborate. So to start out, um, if you perceive at a certain point in your implementation that there's really poor take-up and it's just not working out as you had hoped, um, the first step is to take a step back and analyze the whole situation. That means that you have to take into account what the nature of the ERM mandate actually is, uh, what your role in it actually is, and then you have to look at the motives that are uh, driving the behavior of senior executive and the employees themselves. Now, this approach makes sense because if the nature of the ERM mandate in the organization is weak, if it's just sort of a notional idea, just a a peripheral effort, that sort of thing, and your own job description really doesn't, is not invested fully in, in the ERM mandate, but rather um, you're doing the job perhaps off the side of your desk or something, then um, the amount of effort that you're going to invest in trying to fix the program is going to be you know, measured accordingly. And of course, compared directly with opportunity cost. Now, we started out the whole series in episode one with this curious juxtaposition of the evident need for enterprise risk management uh, as opposed to its relatively poor take-up and poor results shown in surveys. And so that uh, strange juxtaposition or, or contradiction, you know, that persists. That said, you know, all these decisions about what you're going to do to fix the ERM program are relative and contingent upon the nature of the, of the mandate and your job role, as, as I mentioned. And the logic operating there is simply that the primary aim is to make the organization itself successful by virtue of its own uh, self-defined goals. And it's not necessarily, the priority is not necessarily to make a failing program successful. And it doesn't preclude the possibility of circling back around and making the enterprise risk management program successful at a later date. It's good to look first at the nature of senior leadership, what their attitudes are, what their motives are, what their um, thoughts are about the whole program itself. Now, if they're not supporting the program, it could be because um, their priorities have changed. Uh, They are, you know, simply shifting to uh, focus on other things that have more importance in their eyes. And I did mention that as one of the main reasons for program failure, uh, management uh, direction can be rather fickle. Um, and it it doesn't mean it's wrong, but it, it could be quite variable and changeable. So we need to recognize that. 
another possibility is the senior executive people are interested, uh, self-proclaimed, but they don't seem to find time to participate. And that simply shows you that they're, you know, they don't have a high priority for it. And probably what is underlying that is that they could believe in the whole program conceptually, but somehow they still feel that it's not advantageous to report risk. It's not uh, really working for them. The, the results of the program are just not compelling. I think it's likely that that will be the root issue, the fact that so far compelling results have not been demonstrated in the ERM program. And if that's the case, then it, it is still fixable. You can try to um, improve the quality of the risk assessment being done, and I will address that a little later on in this podcast episode. But so far, um, we just want to make sure that we've taken account of what the senior attitudes are, what, the, what their opinions are, and what their directions are with regard to fixing the program. The next thing to consider is the attitudes and motives on the part of managers and staff, the people who are actually charged with implementing risk identification on their various projects and program areas. If the ERM mandate is strong, they are supposed to be doing the work but are not really uh, complying or delivering good results. Again, it could be a problem of method so that so far they haven't really been able to demonstrate to themselves anything really compelling that motivates them to continue in the program. Keep in mind that this again is the likely root issue when people complain that they just don't have the time to contribute to a program that on the surface you know has merits. The root issue is that they're too inured to change. They are not yet convinced of the, the value of, of the new system. So at this stage of our analysis of program under delivery, it really is a question of being able to uh, step back, as I say, interpret the business situation, uh, discover the motives, and understand the intentions uh, with regard to senior executive and staff to try to sort out the, the root issues. I think there's two broad categories of conclusions that you could arrive at in, in your analysis of uh, program under delivery. The first one is that there are objective reasons for not continuing the program. That is, senior executive has simply changed direction, does not contribute or support the program in any meaningful way. They don't allow the staff to have time to do risk assessment on their programs and projects, and they have uh, other clear priorities that are you know, being made quite evident. So these are all sort of objective reasons, that is, behavior or directives from the leadership that contradicts or negates ERM altogether. The other category is more subjective reasons for noncompliance or poor take-up. So despite the strong ERM mandate and their intellectual agreement with the merits of the program, they're not following it up. And that is likely, as I said, to be due to the fact that the methods are deficient or are somehow faulty. So this becomes a difficult call, a matter of judgment, and you know perhaps a rather delicate matter. You have to uh, weigh the uh, options and the reasons carefully and decide that you know, in the face of uh, more objective reasons and perhaps a weak ERM mandate and not so much invested personally, you might wish to, to let it go or put it on the side for a while. And on the other hand, if there's a strong ERM mandate and you've got a lot invested in it in terms of your job role, then you'll likely want to proceed with some kind of remediation of the program. Well, let's assume now that the Enterprise Risk Management Program is something that is central and uh, definitely worth saving and something that you want to fix. This will especially be the case if the ERM program is sort of midway in its evolutionary development, if it's having sort of a, a midlife crisis. And I've seen this more and more in recent years with program participants and their, their comments on how things are going back at the office. 
typically what's happened is that the ERM program is already a few years old, and the difficulty is that it's becoming uh, burdensome. It's already becoming too clogged with process, um, too much paperwork, too much meeting time is demanded, and so on. So whether you are catching the problems of poor take-up uh, at the initial stages or whether you're trying to remediate a program that's already somewhat mature, I believe that my next comments on how to fix poor risk information will be relevant to your situation. So the goal in our remedial efforts is to ensure that the risk information that people develop is so relevant, so compelling, so useful for them, and serves really well as the basis for important decision-making that they just can't do without it. So go back and revisit your deliverable for risk identification sessions. Remember, we don't want uh, a statement of general conditions and trends. Uh, we don't want lengthy and complex risk statements. We don't want a rehash of familiar issues in repetitive terms. No, what we want is a list of cause and effect statements following the rules that we set out for risk statements. And if this is done consistently, you'll start to see results right away. It becomes evident right away that people you know, appreciate this approach and that uh, they see the logic and they acknowledge that it's working. So it is a matter of going back to first principles and making sure that you're following the guidelines that I had set out for the earlier stages of, the, of this whole process. I say that because it's quite easy to, uh, to have skipped something like, you know, making sure that the plans are well substantiated and researched, to make sure that the goals and objectives are, are properly formulated and stated using the, the SMART uh, acronym. Let's say you've um, started risk assessment and you didn't do the context paper properly. One common fault, for example, is to put in the context paper a long narrative of the program history. It serves to sort of confuse them as to the goal of the exercise. Um, another very typical thing is that goals, as I said, lack specificity, um, or that, let's say, corporate values are not really articulated. They're not used as risk criteria. Other problems could be procedural in nature. So let's say, for example, you didn't bother with a context paper but started to convene risk ID sessions without preparing the ground first, and you found that you wasted a lot of time um, during the meeting trying to set ground rules and level set and, and set definitions and all the rest of it. That could be a very easy reason for, for failure. Another one is that the facilitator allows the discussion to go on far too long and you're not really facilitating, you're not uh, intervening at the appropriate spot to identify the risk and formulate a statement and then keep the whole process moving. Now, this becomes a long list. I've got a, a table actually in my book. It's called Process Elements and Quality Checks, 13 different points to see common faults and corresponding solutions for the risk identification and assessment process. And all of these will serve to um, sharpen and improve the quality of your, the risk information that you develop. It could be the matter for some experimentation, but as I say, when you hit on the right method, when you get the right point of view, the right angle, it's unmistakable. People start to say, okay, now I understand you know, how to uh, assess risk on this project. It's becoming clear how to develop a risk register that really delivers uh, insightful information that you just didn't have before. That's accomplished by focusing on the uncertainty that is associated with intended actions 
and making sure the risk statements are really uh, tight and cogent and consistently formulated. Some people spend much too long on trying to uh, get the exact likelihood and consequence. Now, the scales, the schemas that you're using for likelihood and consequence could, in some cases, be simplified. And it might be to your advantage to do that because you'll get through it faster. And keep in mind that you're not assigning a uh, an absolute ranking to the risk. It's just a matter of assigning a relative ranking so you know what to take action on and what uh, can be assigned a lower priority. One other conceptual difficulty is the granularity of the analysis. So in a strategic plan, risk assessment, you want to be focusing on strategic issues, strategic risks, and keep it all at a, at a certain level and not descend into the level of detail, which really belong to operational program risk assessment. Another conceptual difficulty could be that the groups in question are not able to uh, engage, even though they give genuine efforts, with the risk assessment process the way you've set it out. Due to the fact that their organizational culture, the way they think, the way they process information and so on, is just not aligned with um, you know, your text-based process. So I've seen this on uh, factory shop floors, for example, where risk assessment is much better done in quick stand-ups and uh, to use visual cues and signs and so forth to uh, assist the process. Another question that arises is, what about opportunity? In other words, what happens uh, if we identify um, possibilities for taking action that simply arise in the course of our doing risk assessment? And in that case, you can't take an opportunity and list it along with the other with the risks in the risk register of course you have to take it offline and assess it um, apart as a possible side project strictly speaking opportunity should be sought out and developed in the context of a full-blown innovation program and you can see a reference to that in the show notes uh, to a, a free course that i give uh, an introductory course actually on on innovation also another procedural point that tends to hang up risk identification sessions is to mix different uh, disciplines or subdisciplines in one analysis. And it shouldn't be done. In other words, if you identify hazard risk with regard to uh, crisis and uh, emergency planning, all of that belongs in a dedicated risk ID session for emergency planning and, and business continuity. Uh, similarly, if you identify a risk that has to do with um, let's say, security of personnel who are subject to a possibility of, of violence, then that should be taken offline and convened in a separate session with the experts who know how to do security review and that sort of thing. So don't try to mix um, specialized subdisciplines within one risk identification session. So in sum, return to first principles with planning, setting goals, setting up the high-quality risk assessment process. We can also take a second look at the principles for program success that we covered in the last podcast episode and make sure that we're not falling into uh, any of the pitfalls, the common reasons for program failure that have been identified in the literature. Thank you for listening. Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. Visit today for episode transcripts as well as books and online courses. That's riskcommentary.ca.